0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And the Rambling Runner podcast is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Just go to mercurymile.com, input your favorite things, your sizes, your preferences, and you will quickly get a curated box of goodies specifically designed for you and your running needs and wants and even some things you didn't even know about. And the best part is it's not a subscription service and you just keep what you love, you send back what you don't, and the prices are simply fantastic. I once got a really high-quality tech shirt for them. For like 10 bucks. I mean, it really is a great deal. You have nothing to lose, and they are here, they're sponsoring the show for all of 2019. They love the show, they love the, the community that we've created here at the Rambling Runner. So give them a shot. And if you do at checkout, type in Rambling Runner 10 to save 10 extra bucks. So today's episode is with Marcus Smith. Marcus is a absolutely fascinating person. If you like the whole David Goggins story, I know I do. That's for sure. Marcus has a little bit of that in him. He, I'm not going to give up the episode because it's so good. We actually went super long, and now we're going to have two parts. So this is coming out on Monday. Part two will come out on Thursday. He's been through a lot. He had some tragic, an unbelievably tragic accident, and then he bounced back. He's done simply amazing things in terms of like the endurance front um it just ultra marathons you know consecutive marathons extremely long endurance races that just boggle the mind he's a former professional rugby player he's a really eloquent guy who's just really engaging as well just so much going for him uh, but it hasn't always been that way and he's battled back from a lot i love this story and i know you will too so without further ado here's my episode with marcus smith Hello, Marcus, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going great, man. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I'm I'm never going to forget the message you first sent me. You're like, hey, man. I ran 30 marathons in 30 days after, like, I almost died in a bike accident. I was like, holy <laughs> crap, I'm going to get this dude on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um, – I don't know, mate. Sometimes I send that out to people, and I think they just ignore me. They're like, yeah, this guy's not actually telling the truth. But thankfully, uh, Matt, you you got back to
0: me, so I'm super excited to chat it through, mate. Well, it was quite, it was quite the introduction. I got to be honest with you. I, my, my first thought was like – this can't be true. Like, this is insane. And then the, the, the second part was like, well, you know, what's the harm? I'll definitely like follow up. And I'm like, the more I did, the more I like dug into your story, it was just a captivating thing. And um, uh-huh. it was like, I don't know if if you have it over there. Uh, you're I'm calling you. You're in Dubai right now. And yeah. um, so I, this book from Matt long who was a New York city firefighter who got run over um, and then proceeded to do Ironman triathlons and all this stuff. And it was like one of the first audio books I had ever downloaded. And after wow. listening to your story, I, you know, in a different forum, I was like, "This sounds exactly the same." So yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I might. it should be good.
0: So let me ask you this before we dive into your just amazing. 2018. I definitely want to talk like the bulk of the podcast about that. Just what what was your athletic background that preceded this? I know like you obviously were were heavily into athletics. So can you just set the stage yeah. for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I've always been really into sport, Matt. I I didn't have much of an attention span at school. I, I don't think I really have one now for, when I'm 40 years old. And so all what I enjoyed the most in life was sport. My parents were very sporty, so I knew all I wanted to was something in sport Um, and that led to uh, I used to run a lot as a kid um, because my parents did and I enjoyed that a lot I also enjoyed playing rugby and when I was 18 I got a semi-professional contract playing rugby Uh, I played semi-professionally through university and then when I was 23 I actually moved to Australia and played for two years uh, pretty much full-time down there Uh, then I moved back as you said I live in Dubai I moved back to Dubai when I was uh, about 25 in uh, 2013, 2004, uh, no, 2004, sorry. And um, basically what uh, I continued to play rugby, but I also was playing around a little bit with, you know, just finding a more enjoyable way to train in the gym that fueled my rugby. And that was a time that CrossFit was sort of emerging. And it was it was quite an interesting time because, Facebook hadn't started. YouTube was incredibly slow. It was dial up. You know, you'd kind of, you'd come, you'd go home and you'd sit in front of a, 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 a laptop, which was huge and you would try and download something and then you'd, you'd leave it for like two or three days to get a 60 second YouTube video. Oh
0: man, you're just bringing me back right now. This is like, this sounds like my college experience taking like an entire afternoon to download one song.
1: Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> You know, and, and obviously everything, everything nowadays is, is quite straightforward because we're able to, you know, uh, I want to I want to go running. I want to run a, a, a marathon. How do I do that? Google uh, I'll stalk a few people on Instagram. And suddenly I found out a lot of stuff and I can go and start training. Well, it was different back then. So it was a lot of trial and error. And I mean, this is, this is only sort of 15 years ago. Um, so a lot, long story short, I, I continued playing rugby and I continued training. Um, sort of a CrossFit style of training. And in 2008, I had a load of different ways that I was training and I shared them. I started a website um, called Inner Fight, um, which I I knew that a lot of it was physical training, but also knew that a lot of what we're doing is massively mental. And that's where the word inner fight came from. It's the fight that goes on within the head. Um, And it, it sort of progressed to, when I, I was working a day job, uh, I was working for Adidas, and then in 2010, I had a lot of people asking me to, to help them with their fitness and with these, almost these mental struggles to reach peak physical fitness um, to a point where I was able to stop my job and sort of pursue it full time, which was quite, obviously quite a big leap. So what were you doing at Adidas? I was a sales director, so I was based here in Dubai, taking care of the region, um, taking care of all the big stores, big accounts where, you know, where, where we were retailing Adidas. So if you want, it was a proper corporate job. It was a career job, and yeah. I, could still be, I could definitely still be sat there now. And, you know, I think it's all those things that you hear about, uh, you know, salary came every month. I knew I would have my medical insurance. I knew when, you know, when I was getting married that I would have my wife taken care of. And if we had kids, you know, all the comforts of the corporate world. And it kind of, I just knew that this thing called human performance was what I wanted to be in. Um, And I wanted to help people. I developed a little bit of sort of mental strength myself, you know, and I'd been, I'd been, I guess you could say I'd been an athlete for a number of years and I just had this desire. And I, I said to my wife, I said, listen, I know it's a big risk. I'm in a really well-paid job, but I'm going to do it. And um, she said, yeah. And, 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 and we sort of jumped into it. And it was quite a coincidence because in the same year, I actually retired from playing rugby in 2009. And this is kind of, I guess, where you could say my, my early days I ran, but this is where my running sort of started for a second time. Um, in that when I retired in December of 2009, one of my friends called me about a week later and it was about the, it was about the 23rd or 24th of December. It's very close to Christmas. And he said, um, he said, now we're not playing rugby anymore. What do you think about a marathon? And I was like, yep, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in like, you know, and, And I was a little bit heavier then. I'm a big guy anyway. I'm 180, 788. So I'm a little bit tall. And I weigh, I'll say in kilos, because that's what I know, but 91 kilos. So that's just over, what's that, 205 pounds, I guess. Um, And back back then, I was about 96, 98 kilos. So I was probably about 220 pounds um, when I was playing rugby. And I just said to this guy, I said, yeah, I said, let's run a marathon. He said, okay, I've, I've, I'm going to enter us in Dubai Marathon. It's in four weeks. And I was like I, – I guess I was a little bit arrogant. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's that's fine. No problem. And, so, Marcus, um, was
0: that was that your style? Were you like a spontaneous, like, just, hey, like, I'll say yes first, figure it out later kind of guy?
1: Yeah, I guess. I think what, the, the, what kind of person I am, Matt, is when something feels right in my gut, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like – I, you'll say to me, Marcus, do you, do you want to come next weekend? Blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, yes, Matt, I'll do that. You know, if it feels right. And I'm very black and white. I'll either say to you yes, or I'll say no, I won't go, Matt, that sounds like a really nice idea. Um, leave it with me. Let me have a think about it. You know, I'm, I, I'm yes or no, mate. You know what <laughs> I mean? So I was just like, yes, I'm going to do it. And it, it, it's quite funny because I then got a little bit arrogant and I was like, I knew about endurance and stuff from, you know, from from my athletic career. I was like, if I'm going to run a marathon, I'm going to run sub four. I just, there's just no point in not running sub four. So I'm sort of sat there four weeks before the Dubai Marathon, 20, just end of 2009, start of 2010 and having not really trained and we did three training runs. We ran a half marathon the first day. A week later, we ran another half marathon And then I said to my buddy, I said, listen, I know a little bit about this and everything that I've read before, um, before you go into a marathon, you should at least experience about a 30 K. So we went with the third training run, we went out and ran 30 K. So that was it. Three training runs. And I I was on the start line for Dubai marathon. And to be honest with you, everything went really good. And this is probably, um, you know, this is everyone's nightmare story. And you get to 34, 36K. And as, I mean, you're into running, mate. The listeners are into running. I, I hit the wall. And, you know, it was just agony. And I, I finished with 4.02. And I was, I remember distinctly, I've still got a picture of it. I was just sat under the finish line, 4.02 on the clock. And I'm like, you're a massive failure. And and I, I call on my friends I was like I'm never ever running a marathon again, and um, yeah, start of 2019. Well, just at the end there of 2018, I finished 30 in 30 days. So that's kind of the background.
0: <laughs> so when you so when you were hitting that wall and you were coming, you know, you had a couple a couple kilometers left in that first marathon. How did that pain and discomfort compare to the pain and discomfort at like? you know, the, the greatest you'd felt during your rugby career? How would you compare and contrast those experiences? I think,
1: I think that's that's an incredibly good question, Matt. And it's so difficult. That's what I love so much about running because it's so difficult to compare it. Playing rugby, I've been concussed. I've broken my cheekbone. I've broken my eye socket. I've broken ribs. i would you know, i would broken my ankle. I had so many different breaks. But when it's something... And this is why I love running so much, because I always say it to people, the barrier to entry of running is so low, we can all do it, but the high performance in running is so complex. So it's like, I'm at a point where I'm like, I know I can run, but my legs just won't work. It's super painful. It was here in Dubai, it was hot. And it's, I can't compare it for you, mate. It's just so, so unique. And it's now some, that uniqueness is something that I'm kind of chasing. You know, I've run a number of ultras, since and stuff, and you're almost chasing it in a, in a way that you want to find it, and then you want to you want to almost you want to beat it because no one wants to get beaten. But it's just your whole body; it just feels like you're shutting down, and you're you're completely conscious, and you can't but you can't do anything about it. Your legs just won't work you know and exactly Exactly. you know it's just it's just that's what's just so awesome about it though and that's what's so awesome about the human body but you slow down and you're like you know and i'm sure this resonates with so many people that are are, going to be listening like you know you, you sort of at one stage you're like okay i'll run for 500 meters and then you're 500 meters literally with if within five minutes becomes hundred meters because that's literally all you can manage. So it's just, it's just something so unique to be honest with you, buddy.
0: So, what kind of so I, I? You described the pain and suffering of like an endurance event, whether it's a marathon mm. or ultracycle or anything. Right, it's all relative, but it's all that similar yeah. feel of testing your yeah. testing your ex- endurance limits. So it's like that death yeah. by a thousand cuts experience. Yes, obviously, rugby is is a far different sport. So besides like the the pain that's associated with you know like the hits that you take that can you know you know. That can actually puncture your body like you break something yeah. and you get concussed and that has its own similar pain or it has a very different pain did you ever get to the point in your rugby experience whether it's training or in a match where you felt that sort of overwhelming exhaustion that yeah. you would feel in an endurance event or is it or is yeah. it to the point where like that did, it didn't quite get there
1: you do you get there i remember i played in a game in 2004 it was a it was a it was a grand final, and at the end of it, I I was in the medical room, and I had um, two saline drips because I was that depleted. But I think there's something, and this is this is where. And I had this conversation with someone the other day. When you're in a rugby match, you've got 80 minutes, and you're a team, and you know at the end of 80 minutes, the whistle's going to blow, and it's going to be all over. And you 're almost going to be out of your misery, and you can you can just you can almost coast a little bit, so if I get to sixty minutes and I 'm at physical exhaustion, I can just ease off the gas, I cannot make the next tackle, or I can just you, you get what i 'm saying well, oh yeah when you 're on the road and you 've got a marathon to do. In our language, in, in English in, in, in the UK, we're at forty two point two K or globally we're I know you guys are still in miles, so ex- excuse me for that. Um but it's like you've got I'm at thirty-six K and I'm I'm having this breakdown experience. I've got to get to the end. And for me, it's not like I the option is not to stop. Like I'm not gonna stop. I, I remove that from me. So it's I think that's where is so unique about running and especially about ultra events is that you, you don't have a choice. The whistle is not going to blow. It's not for time. It's for the distance. And you have to go to the distance. If you've tied the start line, in my opinion, you have to go the
0: distance. Right. Which just really coincides well with that black and white mentality that you described earlier. Cause obviously like technically you do have a choice, right? You could slow down, you could yeah. take it easy, but if you approach certain things with a very black or white, mindset then it really doesn't allow you that sort of wiggle room which is interesting and and i love how you're coming from the team sport this is what i did too i played college basketball and i was a big basketball guy and now i'm into running so i love the idea of going from a team sport mentality to these massive, especially for you, I can't compare to this at all. These massive right. solo endeavors. Now, obviously, when you yeah. run, sometimes you're running with people, but just the execution of the event is solo, right? You're in yeah. your own head, as you mentioned before. So, what has that experience been like for you, going from one extreme to the other? Yeah, I
1: think that's. Um, I think that's that's again a really good question. Um, I love it because I like to the variables that are in my control, I like to control them 100%. And then stuff that's outside of my control, I've got almost this ability to just not care about it at all. And, you know, it is quite unique to go, like you said, from from a team sport into an individual sport. Especially one
0: like rugby. Like rugby is like the ultimate team sport.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I think the fact that, I think the fact that I'm now fully in control is I like that a lot more. Like my wife sometimes says, you know, you, you just do this because you you're a freak about your body and you're a control freak. And I'm like, well, yeah, I am. I wanna I wanna control I wanna control my destiny. I wanna control the controllables. And that's that's what I love about I love about these events. I love about ultra running. I love about I love all about the equipment. I love the process. I love figuring out which shoes I'm going to wear, which socks are the best because all of these things are, d- are down to me. And it, again, it removes any excuse. So I'm going to control all of that and it removes an excuse in, in a rugby game. Okay. When we we're tight as a team, you know, we, we wouldn't really try and blame stuff on, on people, but at the end of the day, something could be, we could have lost the game and it could be totally out of my control. Whereas now I have to take, Responsibility for absolutely everything, and to be honest with you, mate, I absolutely love it. It's brilliant, you know, because it's just you have to be so disciplined, and you have to be on the, on the game the whole time.
0: So, how has your mindset changed um in the last ten years? You mentioned before that you know that was something that you had kind of prided yourself on, and you were helping people with. Um, so, just. Just dive into the, the whole mental side before we get into 2018, because obviously you need that foundation to really do some of the amazing things that you want to do later on in your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what, a lady came to me in late in 2010, early 2011, and she said to me, she said, I'm running an ultramarathon and it's 250 kilometers. And she was actually doing one of the, one of the ones in the Sahara. She said, can you help me? And I turned around to her and I said, listen, I, I can help you, but I've never experienced that. So we're going to have to work on it together. And that kind of ate away at me a little bit. I was like, how can I teach someone something that I haven't experienced myself? I knew I had a relatively strong mindset because rugby is a very tough sport. And I've, I've come from a boarding school background where discipline is something key. But I then said to myself, I need to start entering ultra races. I need to start learning because that's going to build mental resilience. That's going to help to further develop a mindset. And a lot of people will say to me, oh, can you teach me, can you teach me mental strength? Like, yeah, I can teach you mental strength. Tonight at 11 p.m., meet me in the middle of the desert, and we're going to run until it gets light in the morning. You know what I mean? That's, that's how we're going to learn mental strength and increase your mental capacity. It's not something that we can sit and teach in, it, we, we can read all the books that we want and all of these guys that have good mental strength. But you have to get out there and you have to exercise your brain in really tough situations. You have to go to an ultramarathon. Like the first ultramarathon I entered was 300 kilometers long. And you have to get to, you know, the, the second night and hallucinate to really, you know, David Goggins, his, his new book that's out now, Can't Hurt Me. He calls it callusing the brain. That's what you have to do. You have to make the brain tougher by putting yourself in these situations. So although, and I don't want that to sound off-putting to people and uh, sadistic to people, but that's what I've been doing sort of over the last seven or eight years to, to learn so that when I can serve people better when they come to me and they say, okay, I want to run this race, Okay, I can say, okay, I had, I had two guys in, in a big race in Oman Um, in December of of last year, the UTMBO man race, it was 140 kilometer race, just under a hundred mile race. And I was able to get them at the ATK checkpoint as they were going into the second night and say, guys, tonight, you're going to have hallucinations. This is what it's going to be like. And this is how I want you to react. And if I hadn't, I, I can serve them so much better because I've had that experience. And then I find that I got them the next morning and I said, how did it go? And they said, yeah, it was exactly like you said and we did what you said, and we made it through all right. They said, if we didn't know what it was going to be like, if we weren't briefed, we'd have probably just freaked out. So you learn mental strength, you you increase your mental capacity, and you develop a strong mindset by going out and doing. And I think that's, like, it's not something that we have an app for. There's no immediate gratification in it. And, you know, we're, we're in a world now that, you know, everything is on an app. Uber Eats, I can have food from any restaurant within you know a certain radius 50 different restaurants delivered to my house within the next 20 minutes but that's not human mindset and mental strength doesn't work like that you have to go out and you have to have those experiences and they're they're amazing experiences matt they're they they help you in so many parts of life and that's really what i love about the sport of running and ultra events i, I think it just teaches you so much
0: yeah, and I'm a huge David Goggins fan. I'm actually listening to that book on Audible I, when I'm not listening yeah, to podcast. Cool. So I've, I've consumed a lot of his stuff over the years. and uh, He is absolutely a legend. And yeah. there's one thing with with that whole topic where there's this there's this divide between understanding academically what what you just said and what David Goggins says and what a lot of other people say about the need to callous your mind and what you can learn through suffering and, and experiencing something that you may have thought was impossible. It's mm. it's one thing to fully comprehend what you're saying and to completely understand that it's a totally different thing to then go out and do it. Like even hearing you talk <laughs> about a 300 K race and all my Canadian listeners are now excited that I'm not talking in miles is like, it, it like, sends shivers down my spine like did you have like that fear-based response when you initially started this and do you still have it with some of the endeavors that you're trying to pull off um yeah i guess some things are are a little bit frightening um
1: but i think it goes back to what i said like i just i get an idea or i see an event and it feels good in my gut and then I have, I do have moments though of fear. I'm like, you know, when I was, when I was going to the 30 marathons, I was like, I wonder, I wonder how this is gonna go. I never think, I wonder if I'm gonna make it. I don't, I don't think that. I think, I wonder how this is gonna go. I wonder how my body's gonna feel at mile or kilometer, X, Y, or Z, you know what I mean? And, but that for me, And and I think that for a number of people, that's where people might get it wrong. That's part of it. Like, that's part of the process. And that's part of being a human being. And a lot of people say, you know, to, 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 to certain people, they'll say, oh, but you're different. I'm no different to anyone. I'm exactly the same. I have two arms. I have two legs. I have a brain. I have a set of lungs. You know what I mean? But the way that I react to situations and the way that we all react to situations, that's where the difference is. And I don't react better than anyone else. We just all react different. And some people, they react when someone says, you know, 5K run or 10 mile run, they react by going, no, 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 no. But why, why not just go, yeah, let, let, let's try that. Let's just see how that goes. Because what's the worst thing that can happen? And I think, you know, we, we're a bit scared sometimes for for no real reason. There's no real foundation to to our fear. You know, it's like you sit down and you say, well, why are you, why are you afraid of running five, five kilometers? You know, and people, oh, well, I think, well, no, that's not really going to happen. So it's a little bit of perception as well, I think, Matt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where you could compare it to like riding a roller coaster for the first time, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. like, you, like you, can, you can show somebody, you can be like, listen, nothing's going to happen. Like you can sit yeah. here all day and watch it and say, see, all these people are fine. You're going to be fine. And it's just that feeling of uh, once you do it, you're like, oh, yeah, all right, I've broken that barrier. Now I want to ride this all day. But there's also yeah. like the, the feeling of this is going to hurt. And I I love – I reference this all the time. One of my favorite books, if not my favorite, is Iron War by Matt Fitzgerald. He talks about um, Iron Man triathlon and Kona and uh, so on and so forth. And he describes the the morning of the the penultimate race. And he's going through some of the people who are preparing the morning of. And he talks about this one guy who's like a big, strong guy, actually pretty much the same dimensions as you – and how he was in his hotel room crying before because he knew that this was going to be the hardest day of his life. And here's a guy who's this yeah. hardened athlete, but even he had this this fear based response to the the suffering he knew he was going to go through. And it was yeah. so interesting to me because you look at it, you're like, wow, like this guy has already done Ironman, right? He's yeah. done it many, many times, and even for him, it was difficult because he knew he was going to have to suffer, which is which is really so interesting. So, moving forward, because I think that this is, this is such, an interesting, such an interesting story. So, going into <laughs> 2018, let's just go right to, right to the phone call about, the, uh, about ultra cycling.
1: Yeah. So, I, 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 got, a, I got a call actually just at the, towards the mid of 2017. And, um, you know, a guy was telling me all about ultra cycling. And I was like, this sounds amazing. I'd just been competing in CrossFit. Um and I was like, Yeah, it's good, good time for a change. Um, I'm gonna do it. So he was like, These races are a thousand Ks each, and I was like, Wow, that sounds amazing, and it's like three, two, one, go and see you at the end. And I was like, Wow, this sounds this sounds something very cool. And so I sort of again like you know, it was a Skype call, um, late one night here in Dubai, and I went, Yeah, I'm in. You know, my wife's asleep in bed, haven't even discussed it with her, just go, Yeah, I'm in. And so I start training and I was loving it. You know, I'd go out, I'd ride 300 Ks um, in, you know, and ride through the night. We'd go to the mountains we'd ride for two or three days nonstop. And, you know, just have and just just loving it. Just loving, again, the process, like what food am I going to eat? How am I going to make my bike as light as possible? I bought a new bike, all of the stuff that goes with it. And then, yeah, mate, one day on the uh, 10th of February, I was out training in the mountains and I was with uh, three friends and I was hit by a truck. And when I was hit by that truck, I then was pushed onto a brick wall that uh, good old friendly Garmin, um, which survived the crash, um, told me that I'd hit at 54 kilometers an hour. Um, when I hit the brick wall, It's amazing how the human body sort of reacts. I obviously saw it coming in a split second, just turned my shoulder as I probably would have done in rugby. And my shoulder and the front end of my bike took kind of all of the, all of the impact, which left me on the floor with a broken shoulder. And I'd later find out seven broken ribs, which to be honest, the the bones are fine and I'd broken bones before. And I knew that it, it was a lot of pain and I knew that I'd broken pretty much the left-hand side of my body. Um, But what wasn't fine and and, and what kind of put my life in the biggest danger um, was on the impact my left lung had exploded. Um, And I was kind of laid on the floor. I was fully conscious and there was blood coming out of my mouth. And I thought to myself, "Mm, I've seen this before in a movie and it didn't end very well. And, Then I started to realize, okay, I was in a lot of pain, but I started to realize it was getting, it became very fast, very hard to breathe. And if I could sort of paint the picture for for people listening, it's like you've been winded, but very badly. And your breath just gets shallower and shallower. And I was laid there on the side of the road, and the truck driver stopped, and my friends were around me. And I just had this, and, and I remember it super clearly now. I was in the middle of nowhere. It was about 80 to 100 kilometers so over, you know, decent, decent uh, drive, an hour or so for anyone to get to me. And I was like, wow, I, I, I might die here. And I thought to myself, when I thought that, I was like, well, actually, I'm, I'm really enjoying my life. A lot of people say like when they've had near-death experiences that life flashes before them and they remember people. That didn't happen to me. I just thought to myself quite calmly, I was like, I'm really enjoying my life and I want to continue it. And then I asked myself, well, I want to continue it. What do I need to do to continue it? And it's quite funny because this sounds like a really logical argument going on when I was in all the pain, but it's, it's, it's exactly what happened. And, and I said to myself, well, all that I can do right now to stay alive is to breathe and i've i've reflected on this a lot it's quite incredible that something that we take for granted we do subconsciously day in day out the whole day when we're sleeping when we're awake breathing is the smallest thing but was the biggest thing and the thing that was giving me life was what i had to focus on and you've probably seen it when there's a crash going on you know like People will come to the patient, they'll do an assessment and they'll, you know, okay, this is working, that's working, no worries. Um, yeah, he's uh, ambulance is going to be here in 10 minutes, in 15 minutes. However, and that was what's happening. The guys were amazing. Three guys saved my life. And they would come to me and like one of them was just holding my shoulder and he said, don't worry, Marcus, the ambulance will be here in 10 minutes. Well, when you can't breathe, 10 minutes is like saying, You know, uh, if you're thirsty, yeah, I'm going to get you a drink of water in three weeks. It's just like, no, that doesn't, you just can't comprehend it. So what it creates, sort of the second biggest learning, the first thing is that smallest thing that everything we take for granted, the smallest thing in breathing. That was my first learning. The second thing is we create this, you have to create this incredible focus and remove absolutely everything to create such a simple moment. And for me, I was living from second to second because if I managed to get a little bit of oxygen in through the pain, it would kind of feed my body and then I could exhale again. And I just did that, to be honest with you, Matt, for almost two hours. I just stayed as, as present as I could and focused only on breathing. I didn't think about anything else for two hours. And I ended up in, in intensive care um, and they told me, yeah, you've broken your scapula. We've got a punctured lung, which they put a tube into to drain off because it's a lot of blood leaks out and that and the the lung kind of collapses. Um, so they put me in there and I spent three days in ICU and uh, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. It really was. I, I, I learned so much, and you know, everything that I learned in within the crash itself, I was just able to use in the hospital. I just woke up the second day in ICU and. I was like, right, what can I do right now to make this situation better? And at that stage, I could just turn my left hand from palm down to palm up. So I was just like, well, I'm going to do that 10 times. And you know, I'm going to do that every hour 10 times. And that's going to make me better. And it's these small, small things. It's the same as going out running. We said it before. You get to the, the wall at 36K or 34K or 22 miles, no matter where you're running. Like, what can you do? The only thing you can do to get you close to your goal is to take one step and then you take another step. And I think that's what, when you're in a situation like I was in with the accident, that's, it, it just teaches you that, you know, and it's, it's an amazing, a genuine, and I'm so, so convinced is the best year of my life because I've learned so much more than I learned in any other year. So yeah, that was, uh, that was the
0: end of ultra
1: cycling. for me, mate. <laughs>
0: I can imagine. Yeah. So you, you were on this training ride with other people and then the driver came out of the car, out of the vehicle once the accident had happened. And I'm bringing some of this up because I've never talked to somebody who was conscious during a near death experience. What was, what was, what was time like during that? So like, did it slow down? How did your senses react? Could you hear the people around you? Um, yeah, I,
1: I can hear everything. Like, I remember the driver coming towards me. And, you know, I actually I, I, I sort of I could see his face and I could see this look of fear in his face. You, you know, it's like eight o'clock in the morning. So it's broad daylight. You see his look of fear in the face because obviously he thought like I was dead. And I, I was shouting at him. I was swearing at him. And I was like, "You've killed me! I'm gonna kill you!" And then one of my <laughs> friends was like, "You know," but it was completely pathetic because I couldn't breathe. So I'm like, "You kill me! I kill you!" You know, like this. And <clears throat> one of my friends is like, "It's okay, buddy. It's okay. Just calm down." And yeah, it, time doesn't stand still. So like, I think, like I say, when I realised. What a bad situation I was in. I I couldn't tell you any perception of time because the only thing that mattered was the next, like the current breath and then the next breath. So I was so I was so present, you know. it's, it, it's Eckhart Tolle, the power of now? He'd be like so stoked with how I was behaving at that point <laughs> in my life. You know what I mean? I was just so. Um, present. And a lot, like I say, a lot of people say that a lot goes through their mind, but I think that's where, and this is a lot that I've spoken about since the crash and and through ultras, like even through running, people will say, you know, what do you think about when it gets hard? Um, You know, what do you think about when the voices come into your head? And I'm like, guys, this is, this is the problem is that we're trying to fight what's going on. We're trying to pretend that what's actually really happening in our mind is not happening. We have to embrace it, but we have to we have to get so present that we clear everything from our mind that we're just so focused on the job at hand. For me on that day it was breathing. On another day it's one foot in front of the other. And that's really the thing. Like people are saying, oh yeah, you know, when you're when 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 you're in this situation, think of having sex. It's like, well that's not gonna help. You know, I remember when I went to the Sahara and I ran across the Sahara. That's definitely
0: not going to work if you're doing heart rate training. I would imagine your heart rate (laughs) would probably spike a little
1: bit. Yeah, exactly, mate. But I mean, that's the thing. Like one of of the guys when I was running across the Sahara, he's like, yeah, just think of sex. I'm like, no, you need to create emptiness. You need to strip everything right down so you can focus on there's going to be one single thing, breathing or one foot in front of the other. So yeah, it was, it was a super interesting time for me, mate. And it, like you say, it's very interesting because I was conscious the whole time. And that, you know, I was laid in the hospital and I was like, that's why I think, it, and, and, and this is why I'm, I'm so convinced. Like I, the day before on my Instagram, and it's still there, anyone goes to my Instagram, February the 9th, I posted a picture with a quote that says, everything happens for a reason. And the next day I'm hit by a truck. Like it happens for a reason, guys. It's not, nothing's a mistake. Now, I don't want to open the can of worms of which God does what and how it all works because, frankly, I don't know. But I think everything happens for a reason. And that, you know, I was, I was, I didn't hit my head. Like when I was in hospital, I was thinking, holy shit, if I'd have hit my head, I I would have been, you know, quadriplegic, paraplegic, whatever. And, but you can't, and that's another thing that I learned. You can't just sit there and thinking, well, you know, oh, it could have been so much worse. It could have been this. No, it is what it is. And you're only going to get better. If you have an attitude, like in a race, it is what it is. You're at that 36 K point. It is what it is. You can't, you, people will say, Oh, I should have, shouldn't have gone so hard. So early, you know, I could have stopped for a coffee. We stopped at a petrol station 20 minutes before and every other day of my life when I've ridden with those three guys, they would have had a coffee, but that day they didn't want one. If we'd have had a coffee, the truck wouldn't have been there and I wouldn't have got hit. So, you know, go figure. It's it's crazy how things happen, Matt. And I think it's just – that's what makes life so so awesome, to be
0: honest. Yeah, that whole what-if game is really complicated when you start playing. <laughs> yeah. You can just go down this <laughs> rabbit hole of like, and then this could have happened, and then this could have happened. But, but one thing – Along those same lines, but I just want to touch on this because I think this is fascinating, is that you detailed earlier that when you had that initial realization of like, hey, I might die on this road, that you didn't all of a sudden have this, you know, groundswell of regret, that you had this feeling of like, I'm happy with how I'm living my life. So what do you think what what lessons did you take from that? Cause I feel like that's such a profound thing. And I got to be honest with you. Mm. I don't think I would have, I don't think actually, no, I know that I wouldn't have that exact same response that I'm flooded with regrets constantly, even without yeah. a near death experience. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know. I, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it's my personality or something along that way. I, I just, I think we, we have a certain amount of energy, and we have a choice of where we invest that energy. And I choose to constantly invest my energy into things that I can control and are going to improve my life or the life of the people that I'm serving. And I think by, I don't, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I don't regret many things because I've never sat around and thought about regrets. And I've got a decision-making process that we've already spoken about. It's black or white. It's yes or no. And it's not always right. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's definitely not always right. I'm wrong sometimes, but once it's gone, I can't change it. And I know that. So I, I've made a choice not to sit on it. And maybe it's something that my dad taught me because he's, he's very similar, but I just don't sit around worrying about what I haven't done or worrying about what didn't come to fruition because I've got this limited amount of energy and I want to invest all of it in making the current moment or the moments to come the very best for, like I said, for the people that I'm working with, for the people that I serve or for myself. And I don't, I don't know if that's a mindset. I don't, I don't think everyone can do that. I really genuinely don't. I think there's a lot of people that are, are, are warriors. And, but I think that they can be less of less warriors, if that makes any sense if they really put things in perspective and just start to understand that, you know, things happen and that's life and everything happens for a reason. And if you accept it, then, you know, and if you don't like what happened yesterday, invest your energy for today and for tomorrow to make that thing better. If you can, you know, if it's a relationship, if it went bad yesterday, just do a quick analysis on it and, if you can put your energy into it today to make it better, then you've made it better. So don't worry about yesterday. That's just my, my kind of approach to things, I guess. And maybe it's unique. Maybe, you know, maybe people think I'm crazy, but that's just how, how I go about it.
0: Well, I think a lot of people, and I'm not going to exclude me from this either, have this, this wall or maybe it's better to say it's a hurdle where they spend a lot of time analyzing and not doing.
1: Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like, like you just yeah. mentioned,
0: like if things aren't going well for you yesterday, well, then change it today. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. obviously, dude, like that's obviously yeah. what you should do. But like as obvious as it sounds, how often do people, myself included, not follow through on that sort of thing? Like there's like yeah. I think it's like yeah. it's paralysis by analysis. You just keep thinking, yeah. about, it yeah. thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it instead of just being like, yeah. hey, man, these are the things I can change. I'm going yeah. to change them now, you mentioned before you not just you don't just sit around and think about what's happened in the past. you move on, however, after this accident, you literally had to just sit around so you're yeah. in the, you're in the hospital you're thirty nine yeah. years old you're on the doorstep yeah. of forty. What yeah. were you thinking about in terms of what the things that you wanted to achieve once you got better um, it, yeah that that's a really
1: good question because. I was trying to focus on what I, what I could do that day, but to be honest, I couldn't help, and this is where maybe the mind wanders a little bit, I couldn't help thinking, wow, I've just invested like, because I've been training for, the first event was supposed to start two weeks before my crash, and I've been training for like six or seven months, And what, but what had happened, I, I was like, oh, I've, you know, I've wasted all this time, what, so I said to myself, well, what am I gonna do about it? And just two weeks earlier, Uh, A friend of mine had sent me a link to uh, one of the hardest trails in Europe, um, which is called the GR20, which is a route that basically um, goes the length of the island of Corsica. Corsica is just south of France and just to the west coast of Italy in the middle of the ocean there. And I'd opened it and I'd looked at it and I'd gone, I want to do that um but i was training for ultra cycling and it's not that i put it on my bucket list but it was just in the back of my mind so when is this I got a, this
0: was t- this a running race or a bike race? it's a
1: running race no it's a running race so it's a, it, corsica the route across corsica is about 195 kilometers and it has 13,000 meters of elevation so Oof. it's 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 pretty yeah it's pretty hilly and once i got out of intensive care um i sent a message to i i thought to myself well I don't really want to get back on the bike straight away. Um, I was still in hospital, still in the main ward. And I sent a message to one of my buddies and I sent him the link. I said, uh, he's a school teacher. And I said, what day do you finish for summer holidays? And I sent him the link and he just wrote back, I'm in. I said, I'm in. And I was like, okay, that's next. So from the hospital bed, I think three days after my accident, that was that was kind of my focus. I was going to run Europe's hardest trail route across Corsica, and it's and this is one one of the crazy things. Like that's a really big goal. At that point, I hadn't got out of the bed, so I'd been bedridden for three days.
0: Thank you, Marcus, for coming on the show. As you know, this is only part one of this episode. Both parts are fantastic. Obviously, part two. I hope you get a sense of what's coming. It's uh, a great redemption story, and just Marcus is a great storyteller. Uh, That's for sure. So that's going to come out in a couple days. And in the meantime, thank you to our presenting sponsor, Mercury Mile. They do great things. You want high-quality running gear. You don't want to have to go to shopping for it. So just check out Mercury Mile. You get a box whenever you want one, and you just send back what you don't like, and you just pay for what you keep. It's so easy. Really, what you do is once you put your credit card in, you literally just send back the clothes that you don't want, and then they just charge you for what you kept. It's so darn easy, and you're going to love it. My best running gear has come from Mercury Mile. That's a fact, and I love it. Megaton Coffee, thank you as well for fueling the Rambling Runner podcast. In a couple days, you'll hear Marcus Smith, part two. But in the meantime, happy running.